Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. to the Sounds of the World podcast. Our guest today is one of my dearest friends who was born and raised in Missoula, Montana. We met at the University of Montana where he studied music composition and bass guitar. Frequently cited in jazz ensembles, the infamous composer's hallway, or grabbing a cup of coffee at various establishments on campus, he is a phenomenal musician that left academia to forge his own incredibly unique path in music. At the age of 19, he rocked a gig playing with Slash and Snoop Dogg, and in his recent musical conquests um, involved various events at Zootown, in Zootown, which is Missoula, Montana, um, touring the Pacific Northwest playing gigs, well, of course, this was pre-COVID times, but he also co-founded, uh, records, and mixes the albums for his punk cabaret rock opera group, Pale People, and most recently has earned an excellent reputation in Missoula for lovingly restoring and repairing guitars. Ten years ago, we bonded over a conversation involving a love of cheese and a mutual disgust for the large musical echoes we encountered in academia together. I'm way too excited and completely honored to welcome our ne- next guest, Kurt Scribseth. Woo-hoo! Thank you for having me. Hooray. <laughs> I think that we initially, Hill, I think we'd gone to class together for like two or three months and not spoken to each other at all. And I periodically yeah. hear like a I'd hear like a family guy joke from you and Zach in the back row of the yes. class. And then I remember there was just a day where it was just you and I sitting in the hallway and you just come from the gym. And you were just destroying a bagel and cream cheese. And I was like, I have to comment on this. Bagels on Broadway bagels. Oh, I miss those. (laughs) That's apparently changing ownership soon. No. Yeah. Oh, man. Hurry before they change the bagels. I know. I got to get back to Missoula. It's been way too long. (laughs) That's true. It has. I still have your water bottle. Ah, you bastard. It's somewhere in the garage. I it might be gone. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into it. So I guess we'll just start with your musical background. But before we do your musical background, um, something that I didn't mention. No internet problem. Oh, no. Hang, hang, hang on. Uh, oh. take, take two there. Your internet got real weird. Oh my god, I hate my internet. That's cool that it tells you though. Okay. No, it didn't tell me. I could hear it. Oh. <laughs> Bill, Bill also heard it. I was like, what does it like flash a warning? That's dope. Oh. <laughs> I mean, in a, in a sense it does because you did this. <laughs> Froze. Yeah. The best part no, uh, like in, we're in the, like, the middle of a really serious conversation with someone and then she just goes, Kind of just keep my mouth like <laughs> shut at all times. 
kidding. You're, you're in front of a green screen, right? We can read that later. <laughs> yeah, just, just dig, digitally redo that page. It's, cr it's chroma keyed. All right, let's, let's try, try it again. Take two. Take two. Take two. All right. So before we dive into your musical background, um, something that I didn't mention to the listeners is that you suffered a spinal cord injury at birth, which left you partially paralyzed. So yep. that just makes your above intro all that more impressive to me. <laughs> well, thank you. Maybe we should have started with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, uh, and thank you for mentioning it. So that way it doesn't look like I'm desperate to talk about it. Um, <laughs> So brings it up every five minutes. So no. my spinal cord injury. You know, now that you mention it, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I'm paralyzed as fuck. I have my own wheels with me all the time. Yeah. I know Kurt always has his chair. I was always jealous. When you're so tall, I'm surprised you could hear me. Um, uh, Any who's yeah. So. On the point of the spinal cord injury thing, so just to, to, to touch on that for a second, even though I might not be able to feel it, uh, is that, you're welcome. I, uh, so I suffered a spinal cord injury at birth. So during delivery, I was born cesarean. The doctor pulled too hard on my right shoulder and it uh, bent my spine and caused a lot of subsequent nerve damage. Uh, it also, I don't know, it's a secondary injury, but it's part of the spinal cord thing where it's called a, uh, brachial plexus injury, and that is mostly just affecting my right shoulder, um, which then caused my legs to be paralyzed and as part of the brachial plexus thing, um, uh, my right arm is underdeveloped. And so like I'm missing my radial nerve in my right arm, which is actually what allows me to play bass the way I do. And we can kind of touch on that as maybe if we're, as we're getting into it. Um, but that's just sort of a, a general background. So I've, I've used a wheelchair all my life. Um, when I was nine years old, I had a, a spinal fusion surgery that corrected my scoliosis enough that I grew six inches that day. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. A, it's really hard to say that and not make it sound like a Dr. Seuss story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or really dirty, you know. Yeah. Am I going to the gutter? <laughs> Ooh, I was nine. What does that say about you? <laughs> I forgot how old you were. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just said six inches, and I got really distracted. You know, I, what's really creepy is both of you did. I know, <laughs> and I know the story. <laughs> oh man, oh. this is going to be a lot of editing. I'm fine. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. So let's dive into your musical background. Did you come from a musical family? I did and still do. So, yeah, so I, uh, my father owned a bass, which there's some convenient stuff there. Let's uh, edit point. My father owned a bass, but I never really saw him play it he was extremely amateur and was never really dedicated to it. So it just kind of sat in the corner collecting dust for most of my childhood. And then, oh, I was a loud dog. 
Sorry. Uh, take two or five or whatever. Um, but uh, I don't know a whole lot about on uh, my mom's side of the family, but on my dad's side of the family, I know that my great grandfather used to build violins. Oh, that's awesome. And he, yeah, he just did that in his spare time. It wasn't like a profession. He just did it as a hobby. But um, I think he built four or five violins. Yeah. Uh, and then my grandparents used to play organ to punish my father and his siblings. <laughs> so one of those organs in the house. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And oddly enough, my, my new, my new boss at the music store used to be in an organ club with my grandparents. Oh, so like <laughs> back in the eighties, they just like used to hang out and play organ together. Why don't we do that nowadays? Have you heard this latest okay. one? Bum, 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 bum. All right, now, now you play it with both your feet. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's I guess, the extent of, of your question of um, if I came from a musical family, sort of. Yeah. Yep. How did you, like, what sparked your interest in music? Uh, if it hasn't been abundantly clear yet, I, uh, quite enjoy a sense of humor. Yes. <laughs> and so my first musical interest was getting into Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, nice. And, right. And, um, for my, so I, like, those are the first couple albums that I got and I just fell in love with it in, uh, mid grade school, like, um, probably like ages, I think age seven was when I first heard uh like a, a cassette tape my uncle had dubbed off of the radio of yes. like a surgeon and a couple other songs and yoda and i was like this is the greatest thing i ever heard i don't need to hear the originals um, and then for my 14th birthday uh because weird Al was like my favorite thing my mom coordinated it so we took this family trip down to costa mesa california and uh i got to see uh, Weird Al in concert, and that was my first concert. But unbeknownst to me, she had also, for my birthday, gotten a hold of the management at the fairgrounds and uh, made it possible that I was able to meet him after the show. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. And that ruined every concert for me after that. <laughs> I have this weird expectation of maybe I can meet one of them. And <laughs> To to my credit, that's I, I think like thirty percent of the time I have been able to meet whoever it was. Um, but I'm actually sitting. I'm think I'm blocking the view of it. But I've actually got a guitar behind me that is autographed by uh, Weird Al and every member of his band. Nice. Oh, that's cool. uh, but I was able to meet him again years later after I became a musician and did all that. Um, but so when I was when I was fourteen, I got to meet him, and that's the first time I was speechless. I couldn't believe that was happening, and then having just experienced my first concert, I was like, well, that's something I got to do. Like these, <laughs> these, these people that, you know, I didn't know what to expect at all from live performance. And so seeing these people who were just these, like, you know, it's, it's loud as fuck. You can't hear anything afterwards. Yeah. Are <laughs> yeah. But there's just, there's all these lights. Um, and these, these people are playing and performing your favorite songs and, it didn't really ever dawn on me until until the moment when I got to go backstage and see that he was also just a guy 
in a t-shirt sitting down in front of a plastic folding table wearing a hat holding a sharpie where you're like oh that's just a dude <laughs> and that really that really was was sort of the catalyst of like oh maybe i could do it wasn't so much maybe i could do that it's that people can do that yeah right and so i i had this weird inclination that i just really wanted to perform after that in some context and that's also how how i started getting into like i'd done some school plays and stuff but nothing where it required uh preparation mm -hmm. um but that's when like I got into speech and debate and started to try to perform that way. And I was also doing comical stuff. So it kind of tied in there. And um, so that was my 14th birthday. And then for my 15th birthday, I decided that I wanted a guitar. My kind of, my kind of two points were like, I saw that in the JC Penny Christmas wish book that used to come out yes. back when, back when JC Penny was open. Right. <laughs> um, right. Um, they had a, like a little, like a, a really shitty kind of DJ mixing station. And I never thought about really playing an instrument. I played trumpet in band in for like two years in grade school and I absolutely hated it and thought it was pointless, which it is. Um, <laughs> Stands by. Yeah, yeah. Such but uh, but I, I decided that, oh, maybe I could like get this little DJ mixing station and like try to like mix two songs together and maybe, you know, like, just do like kind of thing in between two songs yeah. like oh I'm, I'm contributing somehow and so my my point was like either it was either like getting that a digital camera which in two, 2002 those had to be awesome yeah um, one and a half pixels oh my god oh like it's got one two times zoom it's only 300 bucks <laughs> it, it plugs in with a printer cable um, oh, yeah because that was even before memory cards yeah but, but, oh uh, my God. <laughs> but the other the other option was like well maybe i could with that same kind of budgetary range maybe i could get a guitar from everything and so i uh, asked for a guitar and it had never once occurred to me with you know being part of my spinal cord injury that i can't use my right hand i never once even thought of which hand did what like which one holds the neck which one holds the pick? Could I even hold a pick? Could I even play whatever? I don't know, you know? Yeah. I, it, and it, I didn't even have really the, like the cognitive wiring to be able to, to figure that out because I've never been able to use my right hand for anything. Mm -hmm. So like apart from kind of mashing video game buttons and getting somewhat accustomed to that or just playing the Game Boy, right? Um, I I'm, I'm, was likely going to be right-handed since... When I was little, it seemed like I always tried to reach for things with my right hand and then couldn't grab them and then gave up out of frustration and realized it was easier to use my left hand. That mm -hmm. I attribute to most of my personality problems. <laughs> left hand um, people, man. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, is this weird kind of like forced adaptation thing where maybe I'm just looking at it from another perspective, mostly out of frustration. Mm -hmm. But so it never occurred to me that I uh, would or wouldn't be able to play guitar. I decided I, I wanted one and wanted to try it. And then, of course, through Weird Al, I was like, well, Nirvana is the only rock band I could name check at the time. Right. And so I got a copy of, of Nevermind. And I remembered sitting in a Walmart parking lot while my mom went in to uh, get groceries. And I put the disc in the CD player for the first time. And um I just heard this music that had this weird sense of danger to it that had a, quite a bit more of an edge than Weird Al did. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I remembered when it got to song two is in bloom. But I remember when it got to in bloom and I heard that for the first time. Uh, I was like, oh, this feels dangerous, and it also sounds like it would piss off my parents. I'm gonna <laughs> keep. I'm gonna keep listening to this. <laughs> And that was that was really it. And then that that song from that point on, like that that song is why I know what a B flat is. Right. So that's yeah. that's a that's a little a little backgroundy stuff. I probably got off topic there. But... No, it's no. perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> Man. So from the Nirvana album. Yeah. What did you get into after that? <laughs> was that the Gateway album? <laughs> that was that was very much the Gateway album because like. I remember um, most of the songs on that album were pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty much four chord rock stuff. So it's, it's pretty accessible, mm-hmm. but like that and handicap accessible, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, like there's, it's, it's four chord power chord stuff. I'd started taking guitar lessons basically immediately when I got my first guitar. And mm-hmm. so I remember bringing in, um, the album and my guitar to my guitar teacher and uh, being like, I want to learn how to do this. Like teen spirit was like the first one I wanted to learn because why not? And um, he showed me how to do it. And I just started kind of picking it apart. And I didn't even know how to tune the guitar. The first day that I got it, I just decided, I didn't know that tuning was a thing. So I just decided that the strings needed to be a certain amount of tension. Like this feels loose. Nothing's happening. Oh my and so I, I tuned them too high <laughs> and I broke two strings immediately. Oh no. <laughs> and so then I had to go out to Sam Goody and get the shittiest set of strings I could find. Sam and, Goody. Oh, Sam Goody. My dad, right. And have my dad help me to like, try to get them back on. And I don't even know what they were supposed to be tuned to. Um, and like, like the guitar came with a, it came with a pitch pipe tuner. So I didn't even have an electric mm-hmm. tuner. But so there's just this little shitty white harmonica looking thing that goes <laughs> right, right. And I didn't have enough of an ear at that point, and frankly still don't, to be able to uh, really discern from one of those horrible garbage whistle sounds to what that's supposed to make a string sound like. It's like, there's such different timbres. I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember taking the album into my guitar teacher and, uh, asking him just to kind of show me how to do it. And he was super cool because he was always very adamant about knowing the names of the chords that you're playing, mm-hmm. which to this day is sort of like my saving grace for figuring out songs for people or dealing yeah. with any other artists if I'm producing for somebody else or whatever. That I like I have a I have a student that I've done some lesson stuff for. I had to chart out and teach him four of his band's own songs that are all in G. Oh no. Because the way that his band charted it, it wasn't going to make sense to anybody. And it hadn't occurred to them to like put bar measures in or or anything like that. It was, it was extremely vague and it's all in the same key. So all the bass lines are going to sound the same. With feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Roboto. Domo domo origato. Yeah, I laugh at you talking about like tuning the guitar because if you watch shows and movies where like people clearly don't know what the hell they're doing or like representing a guitar pose, they do that yeah. same thing where they're just like, yeah. 
it's, it's the exact same thing that they do in, in TV shows and movies when they're holding a video game controller. Whenever somebody's pantomiming playing PS2 or whatever, they're always like really leaning into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> moving the controller more than they are the sticks. Because <laughs> you know yeah. that's what. <laughs> Haptic feedback. Ooh. Yeah. But yeah, no, you can you can totally, and it, it's such a pet peeve of mine. Whenever you see a band on TV, and you see people they hired to be musicians, where mm-hmm. like nothing's even lining up, or they're they're acting like they're playing. I this this yeah. drove me nuts. Shortly after I started playing guitar, I remember when I was in high school, I was in my world history class, which I failed. But that's not the point. <laughs> um, but I remember that this this group of girls they had to do, we had to do this thing where they we had to do some kind of performance about some some uh, you had to act out something in front of the class and so they did they did uh, a thing where they they pantomime lip synced and like air air guitared uh, uh, Henry the Eighth I Am by uh, oh god what's the name of that shitty old band. Henry the Eighth, I am, I am. Yeah, it's an old, it's an old, it's an old sixties group. What's the I know my group? mom is is laughing. She probably is like, Hillary, you should know this. Um, yeah, I got I'm it. Hoping Bill, I'm hoping Bill's doing the research. I'm looking it up. Oh, uh, 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 Herman's Hermits. That's it. Yeah. But it, it totally drove me nuts that these girls were pantomiming this song. And I immediately took offense to it because they the way that they were doing it, they were moving both arms. Like one like like one arm wasn't even stationary where the neck should be. And so this girl was like doing this. Like, I don't it kind of looked like she was seizing. Sometimes she'd switch arms. Because you know when you get bored, you just flip your guitar. You're just interested. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Or if you're Steve Vai or whatever you do. But yeah, but I remember them doing that, and I was just so livid that they were doing like making a mockery of something that I had started to take so fucking seriously. Get it right, damn it. Yeah, yeah. And like I, on some level, I still do that. If I see or like anytime you watch like an American Idol kind of thing, mm. it's like. That's already a song, you jackass. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I love it. So when you started playing guitar, like, yeah. I want to, like, how did you approach it? Like, with your different ability? The, like, how did, yeah. did you just, like, trial and error it? Or just kind of, like, did your teacher help you come up with a technique? Or how did that work? Once I got the strings back on it and got it in tune, <laughs> started with the teeth. Honestly, that helped a lot, and this is actually convenient since I'm clearly in my studio. I've got everything right here. Um, what I did initially, and I can demonstrate this because one of my repair clients left a guitar pick here. Oh, perfect! Uh, but normally, normally I don't have a real one, so this is convenient. So, uh, by the way, does it, does the video get published of this, or is it just audio? No, audio? just the audio. Just audio. Okay. You talk cool. about what you're doing. <laughs> right. Describe it in all the details. Let me go slow. Your best NPR voice. <laughs> and now... All six inches. Welcome back to. <laughs> I was nine years old. <laughs> you're listening to the golden oak. No. 
so, so, so uh, for the for those who, who can't see it, so uh, so with my right hand, I can't use any of the fingers in my hand. My thumb happens to wiggle free from the joint because I'm missing my radial nerve, which is how I play slap bass, and I can demonstrate that at some point. But I don't have any independent finger function in my right hand. So, like this is like opening and closing a closed fist is mm -hmm. the closest that I have to any sort of movement. Like I can kind of move my index finger separately, but I can't extend the fingers at all. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I, I don't, since I can't, I don't have a radial nerve in my thumb, so I can't, there's no like muscular control for it. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I can't make my thumb meet my fingertip the way you would normally hold a guitar pick, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did was I took the guitar pick, which I remember they were, it was a, the, the guitar, my first guitar came with a set of, it had the pitch pipe tuner, the shitty strap that immediately broke. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, and it had six, uh, six red, white, and blue picks. And you see these picks all the time and they're branded as different companies things, but it's just like a little, a little kind of hodgepodge uh, color combination that I, I already thought it was kind of lame that they looked so patriotic. Yes, but, I think I had some of those picks. Now that I think about it, yeah, they, every, I think every company, every company rents that. Um, but so anyway, so I took I took one of the picks. They're all the same thickness. I actually don't know anything about pick thicknesses since I don't use real ones. Mm -hmm. um, so when somebody's like, "That's a 0.5 millimeter," I'm like, "You can go fuck yourself." But, <laughs> uh, but so what I did is I took the pick and I placed it between the my second knuckles uh on my first and second finger so my middle finger and uh index finger i just put the pick like that and it i don't know if you can tell from there but it doesn't really give a whole lot of room mm -hmm. for how far the pick sticks out so i'd scratch the shit out of my knuckles because they'd hit the strings wow. as much as the as the pick would such a painful uh, i can remember doing that <laughs> and like i've i mean i'm scarred to shit from stuff i've done playing but um playing way too enthusiastically when i was busking it's, awesome. it's just dedication that's all it is yeah one well, people will tip you more if they see that you're open and bleeding that's, he needs to just, see a doctor here take that's just next door. i when i showed up they thought the doctor was necessary so, um, but sorry so what i what i rolling did, in tonight kurt yeah <laughs> um i should just play in er's there you go. <laughs> That's never occurred to me until now. That's weird. Um, but anyway, so what I what I would do is I I'd put the pick between the two fingers, and then I don't you know because I don't have any independent finger control really. I couldn't even like grip the fingers together to really hold the pick. So um, there's just a lot of wrist tension that's keeping that in place right now. Um, but I decided that I needed something gonna laugh i needed something longer right? <laughs> so calm down so no. i looked I, I looked around for something that was a similar material that would have been you know plastic and somewhat pliable and roughly the shape a guitar pick is or at least close to the same size mm -hmm. and i found out through trial and error uh that if i used one of those discount keychain cards like you get from like a sam's club or cvs or whatever mm -hmm. um those were, and I've, I've got one here so I can demonstrate it, but they're almost 
twice as long as a regular guitar pick. I don't know if you can mm, see it held up oh, yeah. to it. So what I was able to do was take the keychain card and slide it between the fingers long enough that it would meet like the back of my knuckle. Mm -hmm. So it would go all the way in and it, it had, since it had more surface area to grip to, um, it, uh, it had less chance of slipping out. But yeah. I also was and am an avid yo-yo collector. Yes. So I, so I used to have, they had this stuff called yo-yo tape, which speaking of the ER is basically, <laughs> that's more related than you'd think. Yo-yo <laughs> tape was basically this like self-adhesive gauze that became like bright neon colors. Oh, I love like, that stuff. See, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I used to have just rolls of it from when I would yo-yo. And I realized I could bind my two fingers together with a ring of that tape and then put the card in there. And then the fingers weren't moving and the card wasn't moving. Nice. And so that was how I played guitar for maybe the first six to eight months or so until at one point I ran out of the yo-yo tape because that shit is hard to find. I mean, yeah. it was hard was to like, find I then. I don't even know what that yeah. is. <laughs> you got to go to a hospital more often. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, did I. But... Well, I have a heart so condition, I, so I understand completely. It's like oh, I got a leg condition, yeah, um, <laughs> or, or lack thereof. Yeah, um, mine's just broken. Oh no! I want to give you both a hug right now, but I can't <laughs> for multiple reasons. Restraining or no? Um, but so what I did was I, um, I when I ran out of yo-yo tape, I. Uh, I had some duct tape laying around because who doesn't? And I had figured out that I could um, make kind of a semi-permanent ring out of the duct tape where I'd take maybe a like a four or five inch section of it and then fold it over on itself so I'd get rid of all the sticky part. Yeah. And then I'd wrap that around itself, around the fingers, and then I'd take another little piece of it and just tape that part of the ring together so it would hold its form. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what I've used for 17 years. Nice. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. I remember seeing you like don that when you were playing and like thinking like, did he legit just tape his fingers? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To pull that off. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So, and like, I don't like, it's not going to be worth it for the audience, but you can see like, this is my favorite one. I've had this one for maybe three or four years. It nice. was made out of Gorilla Tape and it is torn to shit. <laughs> Like it's, it's falling apart. But the thing is, is they, I hate making new ones because they break in and get really comfortable. Yeah. There's actually, there's a crease on the bottom side of it that exactly fits where my knuckle bends it. Mm, okay. So I, I can, I can put the ring on and then just take the pick and just stick it like that. And then I don't have to pay any mind to how much yeah. pressure I'm applying with my right hand. Like, and like I think... Yeah, like I've literally got, I've got like a pile of them here that I've gone through. Nice. Um, you just like keep signing time. up for all these memberships, right? <laughs> well, what what I'll do is pretend to, and then just steal the cards. <laughs> and like this is a this is a CVS pharmacy extra care pays you back card, and I don't know if you can tell, but I've rotated it so many times that the edge is frayed on oh, all yeah. eight corners. Oh yeah. And so since these are just, it's a piece of paper that they just laminate. So they're, they're not, it's not fully plastic, but I've done this so many times on so many of these cards that I have some of them saved if I need to perform that have a fresh edge. 
Nice. <laughs> yeah. They're probably like, stop signing up for a stupid care thing. You don't obviously well, they, don't care. You just grab a handful. You're like, I'm a Mormon. I got to take all of these. Right. I, I clearly, I, I look like I need it. Yeah. This, this one's for my dad. No. But, um, yeah, but so like I, I've got some of them that I've that I'm saving for a rainy day. Nice, a yeah. rainy post-COVID day. The first card that I used, now that I think about it, was a Hastings card, which oh, I have a duplicate of here somewhere. And the reason that I liked it is because it was it was oval, like it was oh, completely yeah. ovular, so it actually even more resembled the guitar pick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So that's that's how I started playing guitar, and then. Just on that note, maybe like a year or two later, I remember we'd had a, we had a, like a half day at school and three or four of my friends, we, we left at lunchtime because that's when they let us out. And we went back to my place and we were just fucking around. Two of my friends were playing video games. I was, I used to just obsessively let my friends play my Xbox while I was practicing. Nice. And like that, that was just my social, yeah, that was just my social circle in high school. So like I would, I would practice and um be very bored with whatever they were doing and then you know and i'd chime in and bullshit and we'd, <laughs> we'd be hanging out it'd be fine but um they'd yeah. be playing super smash bros and one of them would body slam my bed and break part of the frame and i'd be like playing bass and like trying to figure out this green day song um, <laughs> and that was that was just how it worked but i remember that day i couldn't find the guitar pick thing for the life of me yeah. and that's as you can imagine, between the, the ring of duct tape and then trying to find one of those things that resembles a pick, trying to to fabricate one of those out of nothing is a pain in the ass. Also, Schmil, I love your water bottle. That's a cute sticker. Tell people. Yeah. <laughs> Which we'll get to later. <laughs> Try some now. Um, but uh, that, so that, that day, I, um, I was just super for the back of a better term, horny for playing and just like really, really needed to get out some kind of like angsty aggression on my bass. And like, I just really wanted to play the bass line to long view and I was going to fucking do it. And so <laughs> I couldn't find the pick anywhere. One of my friends had just broken part of my bed and I was like, that's it. And I just picked up the bass and out of frustration, not unlike how I learned to become left-handed, um, I just decided I was going to try to like hit one of the open strings mm -hmm. and that made a career for me eventually man but, but I, I noticed that my my thumb would bounce a little bit when i would when i would um when i'd hit the string and there's sort of this really cool reciprocal effect where you know the physics of a string being played is that it it, it moves in, a, in an ellipse right mm -hmm. so so it it's actually moving circularly and not just up and down but when it does that, so you pluck the string and it's bouncing up and down, but there's this reciprocal thing where uh, you're a reciprocating thing where I, I bounce against the string. There's an inertia that, or a spring effect of my thumb coming off of the, off of the string, which mm -hmm. puts me in another position to hit another note. Mm -hmm. And so if the strings are too taut or too, too narrow, I can't yeah. do it. Like, oh, like, like that slap effect doesn't work on the high strings on a guitar. I can do it a little bit if I really aim part of my thumbnail against it. But mm -hmm. usually the bigger the string, the better, which is why bass tended to be more comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. So 
I hit the string, my thumb would bounce off of it, it would be ready to hit the next one. And it's almost like the string was doing half of the work for me. Right. Because yeah. it's not like it's not like I would have to move my arm up and down. I'm moving it once. It just comes back. Man, I never even thought of that. That's cool. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably yeah, like a drumstick hitting a, a drum. I mean, yeah, it's exactly, you hit the drum head and the head will actually push it off. Mm -hmm. And so it really is just is this economy of motion where if you see people who are really struggling to play, odds are they're just kind of fighting physics and not really being that thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. um, but if, you, if you're forced to take the time to really examine how you're playing, it can mm -hmm. get better instantaneously. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. I love that you just like um I'm going to find a way to do this and you know screw traditional technique. I'm going to mod, you know, modify it for myself and I'm going to still play. Instead of being like, "Oh, fuck this. I can't play guitar. I can't do bass." I'm right. done, you know. Well, and I and I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And it's and I think a lot of that does come from having to sort of work around. And obviously I have no way of knowing this cuz as some people will point out to me or like what people would say in gym class is like, he's so lucky because he doesn't know any better. Like oh, people, God. people have said that kind of shit to me all my life. Or like, <laughs> like they would, they would say that to my mom and she'd have to like not kill them. Right. But <laughs> to like pull the hands apart from their neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and that may be also where I get some of the sense of humor thing to deflect some of that. Um, but yeah, I think like having to, having, grown up with essentially one hand to work with i've just had to be more thoughtful about how i go about something that other people would normally take for granted and so i think that's just something that then transferred very well to something that people normally spend an enormous amount of time focusing on using both their hands and it's it's funny because like whenever i see demonstration videos or lessons where they talk about right hand technique i could not give less of a shit because it because it none of it applies to me right yeah and so if yeah. i see somebody struggling to strum or to hold a pick i can't not think that they're an idiot <laughs> <laughs> i figured it out you can figure it out you got a little bit more ability than me you can do this <laughs> right well and that like and that should that should be a sense of encouragement right like i don't mean that to like pass judgment i'm like i'm better than you so oh like, yeah but but i am but here's the thing is <laughs> No, but it's it's just that I've I've had to go about it in such a way that I've um, had to be more careful about how I did it, mm -hmm. and that that's really it. Yeah, yeah. And so, like when I see somebody that's that's able bodied or or near able bodied or you know or even whatever that means, someone that's that's ambulatory or has two functioning hands, like mm -hmm. there's there's unless. Much like how uh, being tone deaf doesn't really exist unless you actually have an auditory disorder, mm -hmm. right. right? If you can discern whether or not a pitch is higher or lower than the pitch you just heard, you're not tone deaf. Right. And it's really just a level of experience. <clears throat> but mm -hmm. similarly, there's really no reason why somebody couldn't, like you could take any song you want to learn. And if you slowed it down and told the person note for note, what notes are where, and when to play them, there's no reason they couldn't play that. Yeah. Like if a passage goes F, G, A, C, D, there's 
no reason unless you're really dyslexic and even then there's probably some way to prepare it around that where they couldn't eventually go and that's it right Sometimes when I'm sleeping, my mama wakes me weeping and hugs me hard enough to mark. I turn her toward the fire, I stack the branches higher, I slap away each fallen spark. My mama slowly lays her head upon my shoulder. She says I'll look just like my daddy when I'm older Says daddy would have loved me Says daddy's thinking of me Outside One of my favorite things he used to say to me when I'd get all worked up in composition oh. is he'd go, there's only 12 notes! And I'd be like, ah, you're right! <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to constantly tell people there are only 12 notes, it's not that hard. And then anytime someone would bitch about their homework, I'd tell them they should quit. Yes, I remember. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I, 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 Shmuel, I don't know if you'll remember this, but Bill, you might think this is awesome. I remember overhearing a conversation between two freshmen who were likely, they were likely taking like a exploring music class and not real music students. Mm-hmm. But I swear to God, I heard a human being say, no, it's probably like a perfect octave or something. Like, oh, honey. <laughs> they, they, were, they were going, they were, go, they were sitting with their friend going over their homework together in the hallway. And it's just like, perfect octave or something. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, it makes me think about like the, was it history of rock and roll kids that would invade every Tuesday and Thursday at noon mm-hmm. on like, the, like they'd walk into the music building with like all this swagger of like yeah I study rock and roll in the well, it was, it was so funny because like, oh. I audited one of those classes because I never took history of rock and roll because I, I actually wanted to I make fun of it but I secretly really wanted to take that class it was just doing everything <laughs> else. So, so it looked really fun right mm-hmm. um and I I had I had just started dating somebody that was in that class and so she like wanted me to to go to class with her one day so I did and it was the prog rock day. Which, oh. Here's the thing. I've got the biggest poster of Rush in my closet <laughs> that I stole from my old job. <laughs> that I, I, so I used to work at Best Buy and they had this, those like, they had those like end cap displays where they'd have like a, this band's got this out now. Mm-hmm. Or there'd be like the, like the big panels that would hang from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Well, there was like a, there was like a three by three foot, um, rush mural thing that I found underneath one of the um, one of the um, shelves in the in the warehouse one day and it had been there for maybe five or six years and so if nobody had any dibs on it so I wrote my name on the back of it called dibs and then I immediately <laughs> went to Michael's and I bought a $300 custom frame for it oh my gosh <laughs> my it looks it looks so good. I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. Shmo, um, you probably actually have seen it because it used to be hanging up in our apartment. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. teal. Mm-hmm. But anyway, 
but so I'm, I'm a huge Rush fan, but so I, I audited the, the history of rock and roll class one day and they were doing prog rock. And I went in, the teacher starts the thing and I immediately hear something very familiar. And I got to look like the coolest person this, this chick had just started dating because I leaned over and I was like, oh, this is Time Stands Still. It's from 1987's Hold Your Fire featuring guest artist Amy Mann on vocals. And she was like, what? Who are you? <laughs> nice. And like, I just knew that album and I knew that song. And I was like, I don't need a grade for this shit. <laughs> this is, that's a, with the rock and roll history class. Like that's all free knowledge. If you watch enough VH1, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> where were, where were they now? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually got a collection of, uh, of music documentaries that's, I don't know, I've got maybe like 30 of them, but that's like, that's been kind of a long, a longstanding obsession with a lot of my musical stuff is I love seeing the process and seeing how the stuff is made and what, how the people act as they're making it. There's something about that that's always been really elusive and mysterious and cool to be able to watch. And so I've got a ton of them. One of them I have is technically a not legal copy um, <laughs> There's that's a, not the only thing you've got that's not legal. No, I'm just kidding. What, what up, girl? Wink. Not um, anymore. And, uh, <laughs> delete. <laughs> Control Z. Get that back. No, um, <laughs> no. But um, I've got there's a there's a music documentary that uh, Rosanna Arquette made in like 2004 that's called All We Are Saying. That's a bunch of different famous musicians talking about uh, illegal downloading and just kind of the economics of it. And it's a really neat documentary and it was never it was never released traditionally, but I managed, I, I had it on my DVR because they'd showed it on Showtime once or twice, but I managed to get a copy of it because I found, I found a screener of it from an Emmy voters box set that someone was selling on eBay in Hawaii. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like, I was like $35. <laughs> So I got that. It came in a weird leather box, and it and it said, it, "I remember, like when you put in the disc, it says for your consideration," and then it and then it plays the movie with the runtime at the top and bottom the whole time. But like, I own that. Yeah, I remember you sharing with me. Um, it was one of the Death Cab for Cutie documentaries, yeah. and I yep. I never quite thought. I don't know. It's like I'd always, you know, I had my favorite bands and kind of like fangirled out and read, would read the album color covers of the CDs and like, yeah. But that was really back before, I don't know, you could YouTube anything and get some info. Mm -hmm. But I remember like watching that documentary and getting to hear their perspective and like, because I remember thinking, I was like, oh man, Kurt's got like a thousand documentaries, like lame in my head. And I was like, then I watched one and I went, oh my God, this changes everything. This is so cool. Like it is, it's amazing to like, hear their experience and see them as real people mm -hmm. and not just these gods that are up on stage that are you know untouchable and which is exactly like that. that's exactly how i got into it in the first place too because like that that's a, that's a good way to think of it it's like the documentaries do a really good job of showing what it would be like or how i felt like when, when i met weird al the first time yeah. Right? It's like, oh, that is just a person and they are complaining about their lunch or whatever, <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's these little things where you, what you see when you hear your favorite album is like this final polished performance that they've spent hundreds of hours working on. And it's had how many countless hands 
touching it and revising it. And the mixer did this and they, you know, the band probably still prefers one of the demo versions that they made, but their record label won't let them do it. There's all these weird little stories that come out of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And it was so cool to be able to, to see how that worked out. And on the note of the death cab thing that you mentioned, Chappelle, like that was the movie where it showed to me that, uh, their their old guitar player Chris Walla produced and mixed all their albums until he left the band a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. But he talks in that documentary about how he has these two roles in that band as a participant and, and a contributor. And then he also has this job as the producer where he like turns it over and allows himself a different level of creativity and can almost control the band. I mean, this, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, but like yeah. that, that you're able to have a, a different level of creativity. That's not just, I'm going to play this chord here, play that chord there. It's like, no, we're going to do a piano swell at the beginning of this song mm-hmm. and you guys can't stop me, you know, right. <laughs> but like, I, I took that so to heart that like that has, I, once I saw that movie, I pretty much adapted or adopted that philosophy of like, I want to have not necessarily that level of control, but that level of possibilities with what I'm doing, I think particularly coming up mostly as a bass player, there's only so much a bass can do in a song. But if it was my idea that there's like a mandolin thing going on, you know, in the corner that you can barely hear, like that was my idea. Yeah. Right. Well, and speaking of which, that very much, I think is a good segue into pale people because you very much hold both those roles in the band <laughs> Thank you. yeah um so yeah how did pale people get started or what is pale people somebody told me that band name was racist the other day they saw it on my water bottle did, on the did they? <laughs> yeah, we've... you can't have that in the wrong state that's, <laughs> I was like, that's something that we've that we've often worried about and have no way of fixing it was um, kind of a sarcastic um right wing slug at it and i just had like a laugh i was like whatever (laughs) you clearly haven't heard the songs then yeah (laughs) yeah no Uh, nothing is wrong with the with the title of the band yeah the title is fine pale people (laughs) we have done nothing wrong no Um, (laughs) oh shit oh shit um nothing bad happened uh yeah, so it was so just the, a holiday. I don't understand. <laughs> we did um, not take no Siegfried off. Oh god. Um, but yeah, so the the pale people thing. So that's my, pale, pale pale people's my band. Um, I do all the production and mixing. This is our studio. You can see behind me. Um, that's where the drum set was before we took it down before COVID. And there's some instruments. Um, but did you have to put the drum set down? No. (laughs) Did it get COVID? Is the drum set? (laughs) Somebody had to borrow it back. And there's, there's, uh, there's, there's two toms and some cymbals over there right now, but we don't, we haven't been able to do a full, we haven't been able to do a full practice in a long time. Um, yeah, but, uh, that band thing started, well, I should probably touch on this very briefly. The way I got into recording was shortly after I started playing guitar in high school, my, um, 
my senior project was that I made a, I guess you'd call it an EP, but really it's just, it's some demos. I recorded some shit um, by myself. You're here to say EP. I have an EP. I, 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 <laughs> I have cannot, a solo EP. Yes. <laughs> demo EP. I cannot stand EPs, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's, I, I, I fucking hate every time a band puts one out. It doesn't make sense to me. Here's the thing. <laughs> Tell us the story. <laughs> it costs, as an independent band who's done this a fair bit, you can see our records that I have framed on the wall up there. Um, yeah, I know. I was real happy about that. <laughs> but it really is just construction paper, and I went to Michael's. It's a, it's <laughs> Michael's framing. Where's yeah. that? <laughs> but um, as an independent band, it does, as, like, since we do, since I do all of our mixing, it doesn't cost us any more to make a full album than it does an EP. Mm-hmm. Like if you're still printing the discs, that's just as much money gone. Mm-hmm. And we've thankfully worked hard enough and been, I don't, I don't want to use the term prolific myself, but we've, we've put, we've made enough material fast enough that we never had to worry about really making an EP or like, well, we've only got four songs. We might as well put them out. It was always our ideology of like, fuck that let's just write the other seven <laughs> like we're gonna write songs anyway why why wait what are you waiting for what yeah <laughs> um the teaser yeah but so i i made this in high school i made this demo thing where i um at the t- this, uh, this is the whole thing i used to host a, a live public access call-in show yes where and it was kind of like wayne's world where like i'd give people fake dating advice and then I'd like give them a bass lesson. I do that kind of shit. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I did this for five years, but so I, I started doing that and I used that studio to record that demo thing. So what I did was I actually made that, those demos or recordings, whatever you want to call them. I made that album um, on VHS. So I didn't have an, an, audio, an audio, I didn't have a DAW. I didn't have any sort of audio editing capabilities. What I did was I had a TV station that was old school and still running on VHS. Yeah. So I would record me playing. And so there's actually a video of each of these performances because it's the only way I could get the audio. <laughs> but um, I would record me playing and then take that, uh, dub it from a VHS to a DVD, put it in the DVD player, or put it in a computer and then extract extract the audio in Final Cut. And I didn't have I didn't have plugins. I don't know what the hell I was doing. There's no processing done. It's more or less me just taking a recording and putting it on the thing so I could burn a CD from it from a VHS tape. Hmm. Um, We've come and, a long way with technology. Well, yeah, and right. all, all this all this happened in 2006 to give you an idea of the time frame there, um, which nobody that I knew had a DVD burner at the time, you know, like that wasn't a thing. People didn't really have laptops. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not ones that could do anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have a MacBook. I didn't have any of that shit. So I, I started recording that way. And then when I was uh, at home at my desktop on my shitty old windows thing, what I did was I took my practice amp, I took a quarter inch cable of the line out of the practice amp. I attached a quarter inch to an eighth inch adapter or like 3.5 millimeter adapter 
plug that into the microphone port of my desktop, which for anyone who remembers, that's the, I think it's the purple one because the, the green one was speakers. I think oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, purple one was the microphone. So I plug it in there, it was crackly as hell. I would then take um, a, I take a guitar cable, I put a, a quarter inch to a XLR adapter so I could plug a microphone into it. Mm -hmm. And then I'd point, I'd point that um, microphone at my, at my bass amp or at my guitar amp. I would plug that or point that um, out of my shoe. So I took them, I took like an SM58 copy. Mm -hmm. I put the microphone pointing, I like put it inside my shoe. So the, the cone was or the diaphragm was facing out, had it facing slightly in front of my guitar amp. I did not have a microphone stand for the first like 10 years I was recording. <laughs> so I just, I just, I just did demos this way. So I just record me playing bass like that. It would go through the practice amp. So that was sort of like a preamp. So it would get, it would get a line level. Um, it would go into the computer. And then I'd kind of record it on Audacity and then eventually into Sony Acid, which was also terrible. It was a horrible program. <laughs> um, I'm so blessed to have found DAWs and actual technology that works for this stuff now. But so that's how I, I started doing recordings and demos that way. So I did these and I've got them on a hard yeah. drive, but I've got these like old archaic demo recordings of me playing a bass line for an hour or whatever, you know, just mm -hmm. crazy, crazy shit. Um, but I got really used to whenever I had to double track something or like if I had to play along to another part, I plug in the headphones and I would play along to what I had played and I didn't have a way to adjust for the latency difference, mm -hmm. right? Cause it'd have, it'd be processing the two signals at different times. And I got good enough at doing that, that I could account for the latency. Mm -hmm. So like I was playing intentionally four milliseconds off of what my guitar part was doing if I needed to add a bass part. Oh, and like, wow. I would, I would just be inherent enough to know that where the downbeat is, I just need to rush a little bit each time. And I, I just started to kind of be able to figure that out. Yeah, that's but insane. I didn't, I didn't have anybody else to play with. Nobody was really around. My living situation wasn't that, that I could really jam with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I certainly like, I didn't play professionally with a drummer until I played professionally. Like I never had the chance to do that. It was weird. Um, but so I just used to play by myself all the time and I made some demos and came up with some song ideas that I liked and still use some of those song ideas sometimes in pale people. If we can't think of something, I'll be like, I wonder if the thing I wrote when I was 18 might still work and, you know, have them kind of cataloged in my phone as different keys. So I go, Oh, we need something in F sharp. Do I have anything in F sharp? No, <laughs> stuff like that. But so I recorded by myself and then years later, uh, right after college, um, uh, a friend of uh, a mutual friend of ours, because Shmuel, you know, Mac, um, <laughs> Mac Gilchrist and I met in the university of Montana jazz one. Uh, so we both, we both got into the top jazz band at the same time and he was a drummer and I was the bassist. And we both hated it. We absolutely hated it. It was awful. It was kind of traumatic. I don't really recommend academic jazz. It's very stressful. There's a lot of, it's a lot of sad times. That's why they play blues. Um, 
you do wonder though if that's maybe why they keep doing that. But um, so he and I, he and I met in in that, and we sort of bonded when we were doing a jazz sectional one day. I saw he was wearing a Chili Peppers T-shirt, and he could really play. He's an amazing drummer, and so I had my bass out, and I just like started doing part of By the Way and see if he'd pick up on it, and he did. And we immediately started having more fun than the rest of the rhythm section. Like fuck, like fuck you guys. This that's lame. So we were we were in a couple of ensembles and and um, had some formative experiences playing together like that. And then um, a couple year or like a year after I I had just quit going to school and um, was looking at pursuing other things. Um, Mac messaged me and he. Uh, he used the phrase, hey, uh, you play bass and I've got some holes burning a hole in my heart. Or Sorry, I have some songs burning a hole in my hard drive. Uh, would you like to play bass on them? And I was like, of course. And I said <laughs> yes to that. And it's been six years of crazy cool times ever since then. But that was that's that was the initial thing of how we started Pale People. And then he auditioned a drummer, even though he's in a the best drummer I've ever worked with and likely will ever work with. Um, he, for our project, wants to play piano and sing. And it really helps that he's, he hits when I say this, but he's a savant. He has perfect pitch, or he at least has extremely good relative pitch. Um, and he could not be a more prolific writer and amazing lyricist. So it's just this weird dream team thing where we were we bonded over the rhythm section thing. He does a lot of the heavy lifting on the lyrics side of stuff. I do a lot of heavy lifting on the recording side of stuff. And it, it's just this amazing pairing. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm in love with him. I know, Matt's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being in your part, I think it was like you were recording your second album. And I think I gave him like two tips on singing because I studied voice in college and he was having a hard time with his breath. And I was like, oh, if you just like do it this way, you might have an easier time breathing. And it was amazing watching him pick that up. And then the yeah. fact that I was like, oh, like, where'd you learn keyboard? And he's just kind of like, oh, I just picked it up one day and decided that's what I want to do. And I'm just like, very inspirational. <laughs> he's just one of those guys that could do it. <laughs> well, and yeah, he he's just he's such a nerd and he's so theory minded as i mean as am i but he is a lot more literate about it mm -hmm. um which has as we've learned has some pros and cons but it's it's great but so and it's it's Schmil, it's it's funny that you mentioned that too because i've got the footage of all of your contributions for our hour <laughs> yeah so, so you you served you served as max vocal coach during our first album Mm -hmm. You were there and you were, you were, you were co-engineering with me and helping me figure out the university's really shitty archaic firewire input system. Yeah. <laughs> Where we, what we ended up having was it should have had eight channels. Excuse me. We should have had eight channels. I think only six of them worked. <laughs> it sounds like you're describing either. Idaho State University. I right, we weren't even technically supposed to be in the studio, but it was like I still have the code because I was the lab monitor. Yeah, the, <laughs> yep. yep. me. Yeah, the way that I referred to that in another interview once was that um, we had permission to sneak in. 
Yeah. I mean, it was like Tommy. Tommy yeah. Curtis was gonna allow like he would be like, Hey, you guys are doing a thing. What well he gave he got? gave me a he gave me a two week window where he knew that they were renovating the building. Yes. <laughs> and uh he was like, Do you think you could get it done by then? And I was like, Absolutely. <laughs> Lying my ass off. Yeah. Like, but yeah. but so we, we 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 snuck in at night and we we did these recording session things and um we had to borrow we had to borrow drum mics. What we ended up having was the bass was DI'd, the keyboard was DI'd, mono. We didn't have a stereo, so those were two of the channels. I remember that. Um, there was a scratch vocal which took up one of them, and then we had uh, we borrowed a, a, a one of those kit sets um, that was I think two overheads, a snare, uh, snare mic, and a, a kick. And one of the overheads stopped working on half the songs. I remember that. So we were trying to mix. And we're like, "What happened to the sound? Why, oh, why, is, why is there no waveform?" Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would like to say from that experience, like chatting with you now. I mean, like I was doing my best. I was fresh out of like Music Four Ten or whatever it was, computer yeah. programming, learning Max MSP and synthesis like, and. I think this is what the theory is, and I think theoretically this could work. And now it's it's funny because I talk to you now, and I'm like, oh, you're light years ahead of me. But it's, I mean, you've put the time in, you put the effort in. Well, it's funny because you, and and thank you for pointing that. And it's 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 really, and once again, it's just an experience thing, right? We're like, yeah, like you were the first time somebody suggested, oh, we should use a headphone amp, and I was like, what's that? <laughs> and now I'm using one as we speak. Yes. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's just, you know, you, you learn and grow and a lot of, a lot of the, the strides that, that we and I've made with the recording stuff is just out of mistakes. Yeah. Like I did, I did a ton of shit wrong on our first album. Technically it's all a seven and a half hour audio track. <laughs> so I didn't make separate files for each of the songs. I remember that. They're all one continuous thing. Oh so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like so when it I would take a three when, hours, 14 minutes. <laughs> yep. So I had to write down timestamps. And then what I'd have to do is I wrote down each of the gain levels so oh that when God. we went to go to mix, as you can imagine, if the songs were different volumes, when I went to print that or bounce it, I had to move each of those faders to what we'd all agreed on were the proper levels for that song. Yeah. Oh. Oh my <laughs> I had a notebook where I would like, I would give Mac my laptop and I'd give him some headphones. He'd have a notebook and he'd write down what he thought needed to change. And then I'd go back and lie about doing half of that. Right. <laughs> Actually, no. So, well, and th there's, there's so, there's so much fun stuff having done quite a bit of production now where you, uh, I fucking love lying to people so much. <laughs> it's the funnest thing. If you're working with an artist that's really, uh, feels really entitled and especially if they're paying you, but if, if, <laughs> if, they, if they're really opinionated about one thing and you send them, I learned this in high school, actually, I, I did this to an English teacher once where I turned in two of the same revision of a paper and got two different grades, <laughs> which led me to believe no one knows what they're talking about. <laughs> so since then, I will do this. 
I will tell somebody if if they're not happy with part of the mix. I'll, I'll, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to avoid the work, but if it's something yeah, where you can tell it's it's kind of circling the drain, you yeah. can get around it by labeling the file a different name. And then it's kind of a placebo thing where you tell them you turned down the kick drum and they will fucking think you did because that's not the problem with the song. Way trade secrets. Yeah. No, but I've done, I've done that to people. It's so much fun. Like there's... <laughs> Uh, Shmuel, you remember Brady Hansen? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, and uh, he he won't mind this. You I think I have for Brady. Yeah. He, he. I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. He was a guitar performance major, and he was incredible. Yeah. We brought him in as a guest musician on our fourth album for one of the songs, a couple of the songs. But there was one part where he was supposed to do. We had him playing the pipa. It's like an Asian string instrument. Uh, we had him do, uh, he was supposed to play a solo on one of the songs and he kept getting stage fright and, and choking up. And it's just an, it's, it's an improvisatory solo. So it doesn't need to be anything really coherent or specific. There's not a melody he had to follow. It was just had, it was a textural thing. Mm -hmm. And he kept choking whenever we'd go to record, he'd fuck up and he'd feel bad and he'd like get nervous and I, there might be footage of this, hmm. but I, I, Mac was, Mac was there coaching him with me. We were in my old basement studio and Brady was playing. He kept messing up and I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. You know what? Let's, let's, let's take five. Just chill out. Um, feel free to just kind of goof off and kind of figure out what you want to play. Just take a deep breath and just, just be relaxed. And we'll try it again in a couple minutes. And he was like, yeah, okay, cool. And he like wipes sweat off his forehead and he's like, <laughs> still kind of nervous and he's like starts playing this thing. And I don't know, I don't I hope there's footage of this and if not, damn it. But there's a point where Mac and I locked eyes because he knew what I was doing. <laughs> Record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But so I I muted every output or I muted the master fader. I aligned it where we were supposed to start. Oh no, I didn't even do that. I did it at the end of the track, so it wasn't even to anything. But uh, I just recorded him playing for 30 seconds. And he was like, all right, I think I really like that. And I hit, and I was like, done. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I was like, that's all we need. <laughs> and like, I've done that to people before where you, or, or since, where they're, they'll get, a, they'll get, they'll get in their own way. Right. Oh, like, yeah. it, it's the, it's the same deal. Like Victor Wooten has talked about, about like, if a, if a cop pulls you over and asks you to walk a straight line, you can probably do it, but odds are you'll have a harder time than if he hadn't asked you to do it and you were just doing it. Right. Yeah. right? Yeah. And there's, there's that weird performance anxiety thing, especially like, what do they call it? Like, like red light syndrome or something. The recording, there's like a recording phenomenon term hmm. for it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Where people in, in recording situations will, choke up when they know they're being recorded yeah and, and like i've done that too and unfortunately i don't have a way of lying to myself about it <laughs> <laughs> okay kurt this is the fake track <laughs> i'll just redo it later it's fine it's just the bass part <laughs> i've heard of really famous producers do that to people mm -hmm. they're just like all right let's just take five everybody chill out you know go ahead and you know practice a little bit 
for the song and then they don't even hit stop recording during that section you know so they're just like still talking into the microphone Mm -hmm. and then you got someone goes over there and they're like playing like okay yeah that feels really good then they're like okay cool we're done Let's go home. We're like, well, I didn't do it. And you're like, yeah, you did. You were done. Nope, you it's exactly like out of the studio. <laughs> There's actually a correlation that I've heard of. Um, some film directors will do that, mm-hmm. where, where they they won't they won't call cut and they won't call action, because it completely changes everyone's level of attention on the set. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I know. Yeah, and they'll just and it helps if you're using digital, but they'll just let it roll and just make sure everyone's okay. Like, okay, are we ready to start the scene? And then they'll be like, yes. And he'll be like, go ahead and start the scene. And then they can just <laughs> act. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Yep. A little bit tricking people into getting what you want with consent afterward. No. <laughs> well, I mean, they agreed to be there. That was their problem. Bro. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, we couldn't afford to pay anyone on that album either. So we just bought them <laughs> snacks when they came in to record. Yes, well, Zimmerino's Pizza. <laughs> yep, that uh, is closed now, by the way, and it's a different different, different pizza company. Gosh, that ruined me a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Missoula, what is happening? <laughs> Zimmerino's, as we called it. <laughs> Zimmerino's was, del- was delicious cheese pizza, which yep. after Kurt and I bonded over cheese, he was like, you have to try this, and I was like, Yes, I do. <laughs> we, yeah, you and I, you and I, we had, it was when we did that thing with Mauer where he yeah. had to cross the street for his weird, yeah, weird performance art piece. I miss it. Um, fucking college composition. Bill, you know. <laughs> I didn't do anything that weird. Oh. Okay. So, like, we had a teacher that was very into John Cage and yeah. just like, that's your prompt, run with it or roll so, with so, it. So our friend Zach did this thing where he just, his piece, was just that he had to cross the street twice. <laughs> and it was We were all there to film it. The thing it. he had this this weird and I've got I've got the footage of it because he asked me to film it. Um but he just did this thing where he, he had it timed to a stopwatch and he would look and he'd know when the downbeat was supposed to be and then he had to make sure cars weren't coming. And then he crossed the then street. it turns into Frogger. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah <laughs> tempo changes <laughs> yeah it's a little exciting <laughs> oh that part sped up i wonder why truck <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah man well shoot this has been fun let's hey. see where we at about an hour now uh i think our I've, yeah i've got 124 on mine Perfect. Yeah. but i started early Nice. Ah, oh, sorry, we had a interlude. Yeah. Um, have I? Have I? I'm sure I derailed at some point and got way off topic. Did and, you have a? That's what we're all about. I was gonna yeah, say okay. like, um, yeah. I think if we want to do like a wrap up, or is there anything that you want to promote for pale people? Oh, because yeah, you you'd asked like me, I guess, this morning, uh, if we if we had like a, another album coming out or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And you know. COVID's been a fucking disaster. Yeah, I know Mac has a so, hard time with it. Yeah, well, but two two of the members of our band are are healthcare workers. Mm. So and they deal with people with special needs. So yeah. it's it's been an extra kind of quarantiny dangerous thing. Where like the last time I saw Mac was when I gave him his band T shirt. 
which was in November, mm. I think. That's and hard. yeah, it's it's been weird. Yeah. And so I've seen I've seen Mac maybe like five times this year. Wow. Since the lockdown thing started. But we were at the you know, right before lockdown, we were ready to start doing the next album. We released a record about almost a year ago to the day that was uh uh, Lizard Monster Eats Everybody, which is a it's a rock opera about Godzilla, but it's not legally about Godzilla. It's <laughs> um, a great album. I love that album. Thank you. I, I I had a lot of fun with it. The weird thing about that album is nine of the thirteen songs it's just Mac and I, because our <laughs> previous drummer had quit and we hadn't hired a guitar player yet. So all for most of the album, all the bass and guitar is me. Uh, and then Mac did the drums, sang and played keyboard. Wow! And then and then we did the other weird supplementary instruments that we usually do. But so he and I did that mostly as a two piece, except for the last three songs that we did. But so that came out a year ago, and we were were always when the band's active, right? With without COVID, we were always writing and and putting out stuff. That's how since we formed in May of 2015, and we have five albums that are out so we've more or less done one a year technically because of delays we did two in 2017 but i don't count that um <laughs> but we've we started demoing other songs and we've got four or five songs that are ready to record for the next album that i'm super excited about but you know we're obviously not going to be able to yeah. uh, really work on it until everybody's vaccinated and everything calms down so yeah. Um I'm looking forward to that. So there's nothing new on the on the docket really. Um we made band t shirts and they sold really well. That was cool. That's yeah. good. Yeah, that was fun. fun. It took us <laughs> it took us five years to settle on a design. <laughs> wow. And once once we finally did, it was like, oh, they paid for themselves, so it's fine. <laughs> Which was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. But uh yeah. yeah, nothing new at the moment. I there's there's some things in the works with I've been since I re have recorded footage of most of our most of all of our performances and all of our all of our records mm -hmm. uh, the process of it still have music documentaries there will eventually be some kind of documentary that I'm putting together about us but I don't know yet whether or not that will be in in like a serialized um, episodic thing if I do it in chapters if I do it by album. Yeah, or if I do it total, I haven't figured that part out yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, Hillary is in at least two of those. Woo! Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you were talking about those videos, it's like, oh, that sounds like Patreon material. Yeah, and that's that's kind of something that we've we do have a Patreon. If anyone just look up Pale People Band, and it should come up. Um, the one of the one of the fortunate things about being. Um, being in a wheelchair and 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 having a job where I'm performing is and this is there's it's a double-edged thing I'm extremely fucking recognizable yeah like like <laughs> like it's like obviously I'm not getting away with any crimes because they'll right. know who did it but not that I was going for that but um see the tire but, tracks uh, hurt that, that that's a fun thing we're like we were after a gig once I, uh, or like I'll be out on town somewhere, somebody, you know, back when the world was open, 
but somebody recognized me and they go, oh, the guy with the burn. Like, like, <laughs> this one guy passed me on the street once and his buddy was like holding them up as they were stumbling to the next bar. And he was like, fucking, fucking slap face guy slapping all around this city. <laughs> like, I feel okay. like that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh Patreon thing, check out check out Pale People. Um we have albums. Um all of our stuff is pay what you want on our bandcamp. So that's kind of always been our ideology of like um whatever it's worth to you. Like that worked out really well for us in one case where some some dude when we released the the lead single off of our third album, it's called Steel Fingers. That's still one of my, one of the songs I'm proudest of. Um, and is the only one that we currently have a really professional music video for. I've done some other oh, really sketch, yeah. sketchy music videos yeah. since then. But um, some guy, the day that we were about to go on, on a, like a Northwest tour and we were driving out of state, some guy, we released that song that morning on our band camp and some dude, gave us $250 for wow. one song. Aww. And we, we were like, eat like, on this tour. <laughs> right. I was like, fuck, we can get a hotel. Because sleeping in the van and Walmart parking lots, that's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I ever told you this story, Shmuel. This might be a fun, fun tour ND thing. I don't want to keep you guys, but. No, you did. So we used to, we, we would sometimes, occasionally we'd get, when we tour, we'd get a hotel, but usually it was sleeping in the van or a parking lot or a truck stop or whatever. Mac and Austin once slept on the lawn at a Walmart. I've, I've, I, have, I have pictures of this because oh. I, I slept in the van but the the next morning at like 6am two different people drove by Mac who was topless and halfway sticking out of his sleeping bag on the lawn <laughs> and called him the n-word and told him to get a job wow that happened twice. What? <laughs> wow. Like, I process this. Meanwhile, like, you know, they have to, they had to take time off work to go on that tour. Yeah. Like, he's got it. He's got a job. That's not the problem. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, people suck. Um. Oh man! So why did you sleep in the van? They just ready to roll away or something? Uh, yeah, that's people. It was downhill. Um, <laughs> actually, you can see because I've got it right here. I don't know if that's going to come across. That's the lawn, oh, and that's the sleeping bag. <laughs> because I knew that I'd need evidence of that night. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, that happened. I think in Kennewick, Washington. Oh, okay, that explains it. Yeah. <laughs> Anything in the tri cities can go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um is, was there was there any other questions or disability related stuff or how let's guess Schmill's height today? Uh, <laughs> like how this is a daily like variant. Oh I have no idea. No, actually I don't either. It's like five nine. 
Give or what, take. If what if what if it's warm out? Five ten. <laughs> like how I make a shrinkage joke and it doesn't get as much laughter as I when know. you did the growth thing. <laughs> Damn it. Um, and no, I think I, I think that was good. Did you have anything you wanted to ask, Bill? No, I I just like I like this a lot. It was great. Thanks, uh, man. It was awesome just to hearing how you persevered and it was like, fuck it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to find my way. Thanks, you dude. Know? I awesome. appreciate that. And what I, when Schmil knows this better than any, well, almost as good as anybody, um, we didn't even have to touch on the whole thing where the university wouldn't let me have my composition degree. Yeah. Oh I saw that pain on your face and I was like, oh, That's I don't know if I want to dive into this one or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the longer, the longer that, that it, that's been a distance thing or that I've been distanced from that, the less it matters. Yeah. And I, I have more of a music centered career without that degree than anyone I know who does have it, including yeah. two of the people in this band. Yeah. And I mean, right here. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah, I have a PhD in music composition. I work at Home Depot, so. Hell yeah. And, hey, then, and, then I, and I think Shmuel mentioned it early on in the podcast, but I've been, I've been doing, um, I do instrument repairs and restoration stuff. And I started doing that for other people last summer, not this most recent summer, the one before that. And I've done more than 70 of them for different people out of my basement Lord, under wow. the table. <laughs> but, um, and that, that caused enough notoriety because I make posts about it that um, the music store that I started taking lessons from and used to buy my strings at uh, asked me to work there as their guitar tech guy. So Wow, that's cool. So I, I get to go do that. But that only happened two weeks ago. So now I worked on three guitars today privately Damn. For, for other people. And then tomorrow I get to go restring seven or eight guitars uh, in a row. Nice. Ooh. Like all together? No. <laughs> it's one Sometimes it, it feels like it. Set up all the guitars in the store the highest tension possible. You know, they ship that way. <laughs> they actually, there's a, there's a phenomenon that happens with acoustic guitars where the older they get, the belly of it where the bridge sits will bow out and the neck joint will dive in. So the older an acoustic gets, usually the, the action gets worse and worse because it keeps getting higher. But they intentionally make all of the bridge saddles too big, and they're actually meant to be filed down at some point. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The more you know. I feel like I need to bring, I have a tailor just collecting dust, the Batman one with yep. the bat symbol on it. And uh, <laughs> Oh, I remember. Did you ever get Kurt in touch with Logan? No. I need oh, to do that. you fail, Hillary. No. Hillary, who's Logan? This is what I have you here for, Bill. Bill, Bill Logan, Kurt, Bill, Logan. <laughs> who's Logan? Logan is a, a good friend of mine from Pocatello, actually. And he oh, cool. plays guitar. Um, he took like this old empty gasoline can from an army surplus store out of uh, like outside of Salt Lake and Logan or something like that. Um, and he cut it up and put the everything in it, you know, that you would need, put a neck on it from an old guitar that would. Oh break. yeah. 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 Um, it like a re like that's uh, that can's like the resonator part. Yeah. 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 Neat. 
and uh it sounds so cool it's got such a cool sound to it and timbre and he's got one made out of a lunchbox and uh like an old banjo he kind of jerry-rigged and things um and it's just he's so creative but he was having issues with one of his guitars when yeah. we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and Hillary was like, oh, I know a guy that fixes guitars. I'll put you in touch the with him. Never. Literally the worst. <laughs> that's, that's literally my job. Which is, and I was like, he's amazing. I bet he could figure it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm the worst. I'll figure it out right now. So Tuesday so, so, morning, get an email. Oh, shit. By the way, Bill, here's Kurt's bio. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was telling Bill, I was... Uh, I was like, fuck, I thought Kurt was next week. <laughs> Today, oh, I was like, that's why I was like messaging you like, what, hey, I'm going to craft your bio for you. <laughs> what's super funny, too, is I didn't know what time we were doing this. So I've got an untouched frozen lasagna right there. I wondered oh, what that was shit. back there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to, I'll get to that in a minute. But yes. um, just teasing so Bill, the fat man on the other end with that lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> Can that be the name of the podcast? Yeah. Frozen lasagna? No, you're uh, welcome back to teasing the fat man <laughs> with a frozen. With what are we doing this week? Whoa, that's wacky. That's teasing me because I haven't had cheese in nineteen days. But who's counting? That's optional, Hillary. How are you feeling, by the way? How Actually, a lot better. My joints aren't like pissed off at me twenty four. Oh no, her internet's the worst. <laughs> I hate Nazuma. Oh no, no. Shmo, you did the you did Can the you time you did the time travel thing. Um, we we Bill. lost you at twenty four hours. Oh, yeah. I don't have constant joint pain anymore. Good, that's been really good. So I know I am allergic to something. I just need to figure out what that is now. Well, if you quit rubbing cheese on your joints. I know. Well, that's well, probably what it is. I never know, Bill. I, I gotta ask you if, since you're from from Pocatello, which is what I say on stage every time we play there. Do you really good? I do. I, I'll you go. Should just Pocatello. say thank you, Pocafello. No, we we played we've played the first national two or three times. Oh yes. That's. I mean, that's that's paid for a lot of our a lot of our uh, early album stuff. If you're from Pocatello, do you know Jamie Bertoski? Yes, I do. She's a Ooh. good dear friend of mine. Okay, so she was at one of our first shows there, and we've been friends ever since. Oh, nice! Very That's cool. Amazing. Her what? parent, her parents came up to us and were hitting. Her mom was hitting on our drummer and trying to tell. No, no. no Wait, which to, one? Austin. Austin was He's trying there. to tell him that his music is way better and in the, he's going to be way more successful than we were. Wow. <laughs> cause he, cause we would, we would do a thing where he, we would switch up instruments and play two or three of his songs, which are like a Ed Sheeran kind of pop rock thing. But her mom like gravitated to him. It was like, you need to do that. Meanwhile, we're like sweating, playing this weird aggressive piano rock that no one asked for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that I yeah I had to check because um, we also the last time we played in Pocatello was at uh, the So or the Coho Smart Bar. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got in a um, we got in a car accident that night, 
Um, and I, I'm still dealing with whiplash stuff from it three and a half years later. That's what the legal stuff was I mentioned earlier. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I thought it a, was like hip related. And I was like, I don't I no, didn't think you'd no. feel that. I mean, I, I mean, boy, would I No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we were, we were on the corner of, I should, I have the paperwork somewhere on the corner of fourth and something. We were mm-hmm. right. We were like two blocks away from the, our hotel but we were playing at the Coho Smart Bar and we left to Walmart to go get food. We came back and it was like 1130 midnight and somebody ran a red light and T-boned us. Oh, Jesus. And we were two blocks from the hotel. This was the last day of a 12 day tour. Oh my God. I had made it safely throughout Seattle and Portland <laughs> all, all during that eclipse in 2017. Oh, Jesus. I made it fine through all of that. It was midnight in fucking Pocatello, Idaho. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Pocatello. Man. Yeah, so that, that was an adventure. But so I had to go back to Pocatello and deal with some of that shit this past summer because there's a different number of years statute of limitations of what you can do in Montana versus Idaho in mm-hmm. a car accident. Okay. And so... Uh, I had to find an Idaho lawyer because you're also not allowed to have interstate representation. Hmm. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. So, but that, um, that's my experience with Pocatello. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's crazy. You know, Jamie, I mean, that's yeah, we haven't done the farewell yet. So we should do a farewell. And then <laughs> what, what, what is a farewell? That's where we tell you to get the hell off. Oh, then I <laughs> My wife is looking at me like, get the fuck off the microphone. Yeah. Uh, I also have to ask one other thing, Bill. Do you know a, a Chase Jericho Hage or Hage? I don't know how to pronounce it. It sounds really familiar. Kind that of similar circles. Yeah, I would have been another Pocatello guy. He was at the same show. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, Pocatellans? Pocatellans. So, so there's a, there's a sign-off. What do we do? Do we have to hold hands? Yes, it's being virtually involved. Uh, <laughs> no, we're just going to thank you for being on our podcast and tell people to check out Pale Pale. Pale <laughs> Whoa, that sounds like we could do a take two, Hillary. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and she's glitching. And her internet messed up. Okay. No. Oh, man. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, dude. Your internet fucked up as you fucked up. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Or did I fuck up? <laughs> no, you did. <laughs> Because <laughs> you were doing this. <laughs> All right, so I will I will do a clean farewell. <laughs> Maybe we'll see if the internet holds up. Well, thank you so much, Kurt, for being on our podcast. Uh, really enjoyed getting to speak with you today. It's been way too long since I've talked to you face to face, even if it is Zoom. Um, thanks so much for talking to us about your life and story, and you're such an inspiration. Thank you very much, Millery and Billery. <laughs> yeah, thank thank you. you so much. It's been thank great talking to you. Likewise, thank you so much. And anyone listening, go out, go check out Pale People. Get a sticker, get a T-shirt. PalePeopleMusic.com. There we go. And you can find them on Spotify. They only have eight listeners right now, so sub. <laughs> is, that, is that true? I think I'm the ninth. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get you into double digits. So. I appreciate that. Get that sweet revenue. 
Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at soundsoftheworldpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go.